You are listening to the Hiking Radio Network, where we talk the walk with shows by hikers about hikers for everybody. Mighty Blue on the Appalachian Trail, the ultimate midlife crisis. Join Steve and his guests every week as he staggers from Georgia to Maine. Hey guys, it's me again, Mighty Blue, and you are listening to episode number 326 of the podcast, which is Mighty Blue on the Appalachian Trail, the ultimate midlife crisis. Today, I think we've got a real treat for you. After I hiked the West Highland Way earlier this year, I kind of kept in touch with that trail, reading people's posts on Facebook and seeing their pictures. And by the way, they're nowhere near as vindictive and nasty as some of the 80 Facebook pages, so think on. These posts really took me back there, I'll tell you. Anyway, one of the posts particularly grabbed my attention. It was by a pair of hikers, father and daughter. When I read that it was about their journey from the very north to the very south of mainland UK, taken in the West Highland Way as part of that hike, I got especially intrigued, not least because I knew that our spectrum adventures must have something to do with autism. As you'll hear when we talk, I didn't know the half of it. Ian is our guest today and he'll be along shortly. Also today, we catch up with one of the surviving Mighty Blue class of 2022, Dom Tamara. Dom was heading home for five days, but by the time you hear this, he'll be back at it, still heading north and enjoying it. Then we'll have the first half of Chapter 3 of George Stephanus's Then the Howl Came, where George and his buddy are battling through the Smokies. So let's meet Ian, and even though we don't hear from her, his daughter Eve permeates the whole conversation. Here's Ian and Eve. So today's guest, Ian Alderman, came to my attention when I was still going down the West Highland Way rabbit hole after I'd finished my hike. He appeared with his daughter Eve on the West Highland Way Facebook page and they have a unique story. So I invited Ian to come on the show. Hey Ian, how are you? Hi, yeah, how are you? Well, I'm good, thanks. And, you know, I, I always do this. We have a conversation yesterday and I had a few notes to make. And then I started checking out your social media and so on. And I found out something I had absolutely no idea from talking to you yesterday. Your your Facebook and, and YouTube pages and channels are all called My Spectrum Adventures. And when I started looking through them, I'd assumed that your daughter Eve was the person referred to as on the spectrum or autistic. But one of your videos said that you are also autistic. So for the benefit actually for my benefit and for the audience benefit what are the differing degrees of being on the spectrum um well the differing degrees being a spectrum it's it's kind of unique so everyone who's on the spectrum has a unique set of characteristics interesting so it it's not kind of one size fits all because everyone everyone is unique i mean a lot of people don't know for example that elon musk is on the spectrum so hmm. i mean it it just shows a sort of variety of people that are on it it's not all the traditional rain man and and uh i and think that's the worst sort. thing that ever happened to people being on spectrum seeing rain man i mean yeah. and he, he was a very particular sort of person so how does it manifest itself in you ian and how does it manifest itself in eve 
Well, with well with Eve, it's and myself probably the biggest side of it is the social side of it. So communicating with others, talking to others, in general, the whole social social side of life, being able to read stuff, saying the appropriate things at the appropriate times, and all that sort of stuff. Eve tends to go into. And by the way, you have the uh, you, by the way you have the added handicap of being British. We always blur out stuff we shouldn't do, don't we? Well, yeah, yeah. There, there is the yeah, yeah. We, we don't always say stuff as it should be, or as people expect. There is an element of, I suppose, of, of British talk kicks in there as well. It makes yes. it some, yes. somehow worse to people who aren't right. quite used to some of the social yeah. norms from from the UK. So. So but yeah, I mean, tell us about Eve. Yeah, it's it's just, with Eve as well. It's the social side. It's lack of communication, lack of ability to communicate effectively and read social situations. And with Eve, her emotions can be on a knife's edge, even on a good day. So it, it's always almost like treading on eggshells a wee bit with her constantly. But obviously tying in with all your um the nature of your podcasts etc being in the whole outdoors is kind of her happy place it's just where she comes out of a shell and she's a totally totally different child to parent to, to, why, why do you think that is ian what, have you thought about why that might be to be honest we don't really know it's just when when she's in the house she is She's awesome, she's easy, but it, everything's generally harder. But getting okay. into the outdoors, getting uh, into not just hiking, but anything, whether it be climbing, canoeing, kayaking, sure. going out doing bushcraft, building fires, dens, rain, sleet or snow, she is a different child, period. I mean, wow. fundamentally different, her emotions, everything. Now, now, nothing's perfect. I mean, it doesn't get rid of the autism and et cetera, et cetera. Sure. But it just, it's like the outdoors is a natural medicine. I don't, I don't want to use medicine or very carefully use that word medicine when yes, talking yes. with autism. Yeah. But do you know what I mean? It's like the best yeah. medicine you can give to, well, anybody, wow. but her in particular. And, and it kind of feeds into both myself and Sarah in our lives as well, because being outdoors is just, what works for us as individuals and as a family we're never better than when we're outside so do you you also feel better as well being out, outdoors? yeah without a doubt How absolutely okay. without without a doubt and is and i don't even know whether you know the answer to this is eve aware of differences in, in that way yes it, yeah yeah she yes. is i mean she know i mean she goes to like brownies and, and various other social clubs and she's keen to be social is autism isn't about not wanting to be social it's about wanting to be social but not having the skills to be social okay. so i mean she goes and, and she wants to do all this stuff she wants to have the friends and go to the parties and all this sort of stuff and sure, sure. but she doesn't really have the all the social skills to be able to do it and manage the intricacies of human social interaction as well as someone who's neurotypical so okay. she does want to it's just she struggles to be able to do that which is why if you'll ever meet her which lots of people have done you'll not usually get much out of her unless she thinks you're not listening or your back's turned or you're well away and she thinks it's just right. me and her and then she'll open up and she'll normally open up and say the most inappropriate thing going and and uh, but it, it's 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 a logical question it's sure. always like is that a boy or a girl and do you know what i mean it's really sort of like <laughs> oh god cringe worthy stuff 
But so, but, that is but you, just, you're not that way. I say I didn't even know from talking to you yesterday that you you were so. So that's what I talked about, the different levels, I guess, yeah. and I wasn't aware of it yesterday. Um, but let, let's kind of move on from that because I, I want to, um, as I mentioned, you know, you've also, like I have, recently completed the West Highland Way. Hmm. And I'd imagine that in itself was quite an accomplishment for both the two of you. But there is so much more to your hiking journey, isn't there? Tell the listeners your plan and how much you've done. Well, the, the the plan of what we're doing currently, or, or, or I say halfway through, we're not even halfway through, we're walking the entire length of mainland Great Britain. So from the furthest northerly point of Scotland all the way through to the f- most southerly point of England via John O'Groats to Land's End and it equates to about 1300 miles so I mean in terms of stuff like the Appalachian Trail it's relatively small but some of the challenges with this particular challenge is somewhat different because there's no defined route there's no path it's all map reading navigation compass work sure yada 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 so it's 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 a different sort of challenge. It encompasses a lot more, like I say, the, the navigation, so logistics. It's a lot more, it's not a structure. There isn't the infrastructure there. The paths aren't defined. It's all going across hills and you can link in paths and known trails, the West Highland Way being sure, one sure. of them. But it's, So that was it's, almost easier for you then, wasn't it? Because it was actually yeah. a defined path. Right, yeah, the West, the West Island way, way is easy. It, it, I was looking forward to getting onto that bit and doing that bit for a bit of a break because it's just kind of there and there's campsites and there's shops and there's honesty boxes and and yes. I suppose, I think in America you call it all like trail magic and all this sort of stuff. It, yes. it kind of is on the West Island way, but for the majority of it, there isn't. And obviously the laws are somewhat different with wild camping yes. not being allowed so it's a lot more you have to be a lot more sneaky with camping and etc 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 so yeah it, it 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 it's a different challenge it's a different challenge but as anyone knows that's ever done a, a long walk even just a reasonable distance just over a number of days it soon turns from being a physical challenge into a mental challenge and that Absolutely. ties again in with the autism because the, the mental challenges are is where autistic people tend to have a weakness or an absolute strength that goes beyond what most people can do and you're so, and you're seeing that you're seeing that in Eve are you that that she's really grown into this so much yeah, that she's just yeah. kind of got into it oh Eve's absolutely obsessed I mean the outdoors is her thing I mean <laughs> she's she's got a picture or a big poster above her bed of Mount Everest and it's the first thing she Isn't sees it? when she goes to sleep first thing she sees when she wakes up and that's her goal she wants to go up Mount Everest and she's already been on uh, been on our like online forum things where she's been selected and she's spoken to sherpas from everest and she actually talks to these people and there's a group that's actually got started by a indian doctor who links in with all the sherpas over in ever over over at mount everest and it's all to do with 
in females an all-female team to go up Everest who otherwise couldn't because like this Indian doctor she came from I don't know all the geography of it when these yeah, places sure. were during a menstrual cycle she would have been put in a shed and told that she was the demon and you're filthy oh, and, do you know what I mean so yeah, she yeah. left yeah. the family become a doctor which is contrary sure. to all what should have happened and she's mount she's done Everest and all these other challenges and she recruits people from all over the world uh, any sort of odd individuals to try to bring them all in and hopefully in time put together all female teams to go up Everest and other stuff and Eve's getting linked in with all of that so Eve's I mean de- she's, Eve has definitely she's got that in her mind isn't she yeah that's so, fantastic yeah. so you, you've done so far you told me you actually completed Scotland the other day and most yeah. Brits would say, would think Land's Enter John and Gross but you've gone for the most northerly part which yeah. is what's it called Dunnet Dunnet Head I can't remember Dunnet yeah. Head and Dunnet the most Head. southerly part is Lizard fur- Point to Lizard Point that's right because yeah. Lizard Point is the most southerly part of, of, of Britain and so far you've just completed Scotland in, t- in its entirety haven't you? Yeah we, we, we've done all of Scotland so we've got a continual chain of footsteps from the most northerly point that's, all, that's awesome go, go, going that's awesome. Into, into England so yeah so we've done so Scotland so let's step back a bit knowing now that you're also autistic and, and I'm and and that's really did, did inform more of my questions actually tell us how you met your wife sarah because that was also a love of the outdoors wasn't it um yeah we we met originally climbing in the peak district and yeah we were both out there rock climbing and it was all through a mountaineering club and we ended up meeting we were we knew each other for a good number of years before any sort of relationship developed we were just acquaintances friends and so on and so forth and yeah eventually we ended up yeah getting together and and the rest is history then we had eve Uh, and then you had eve when did you realize that she may also be autistic and was it likely you being an autistic father i mean i just don't know these things so i'm asking out of complete ignorance well, Sarah is uh, by trade a high school teacher. Now, she doesn't work as a high school teacher anymore. She gathered up a number of years ago, but she's got professional training and experience of working with people on the spectrum and other um, uh, conditions, statemented conditions. So right. she kind of knows about all this stuff. So the question of me being on the spectrum from her has been around for well over a decade, but I've always battled sort of got rid of it and said no and I'm not doing going to go down this rabbit hole I don't want to do that I don't have my medical records because of the sort of jobs I was working in etc etc and obviously we had Eve and she displayed a lot of traits that are quintessentially autistic so we ended up going down the route of getting a diagnosis or potentially a diagnosis because obviously that's that's down to the medical professionals but go down the route of getting her diagnosed which it come back quite a resounding yes and at roughly the same sort of time I decided that I would I would agree and go through the National Health Service and see whether indeed i was on the spectrum right and that came back as quite a resounding yes but in all honesty i went more for my diagnosis basically to try and prove sarah wrong it wasn't a case of going <laughs> thinking i'm gonna go always, and get it always dangerously to try to prove yeah, your wife wrong always right? always and yeah well, i well and truly got egg on my face so yeah that that, that, that backfired because it came at quite a large resounding Yes. So, I mean, even if someone asks me, are you autistic? I, I say yes, because it's true, and I am. And, and everything fits, and it does make 
a lot of my life it does make sense of a lot of things that have happened in my life and how I am and who I am and all that sort of stuff sure sure but I also don't necessarily some people being autism being autistic is like a lifestyle but and and I suppose and it does affect you in every part of your existence, but I don't sure. want it to define me. And do you know what? That's exactly what my next question is about Eve. You didn't want to limit Eve in any way, did you? You, you, no. you talked to me yesterday about doing big things. So yep. tell us how you, how you feel about that, because that's, because this is really important part of it. The fact that you are autistic yourself, as I say, which colors my questions in many ways, because you've, you thought enough about this to think, well, I'm not going to limit my daughter on this. So what does it mean to you doing big things? Well, it's, it's kind of that she is on the spectrum. She's going to have to deal with that for all, all of her life. Sure. Sure. So, and she's also home educated, so she doesn't go to school. Right. So we have the benefit right. of time. So we haven't got to just worry about school time. So we do the whole right. education, home education system stuff while we're actually on the trail so i carry tablets and educational resources sure. with me in my backpack so when we're walking we can do it in the evenings sure. in the tent etc etc sure. um but at the end of the day being autistic people and make allowances for that and it's all very nice but also you if but also we want her to be able to try to develop and not be limited by it so we still want her to be able to socially interact, to be able to push herself, to be able to develop her particular strengths. But isn't the trail a great way to do that? Because you meet everybody yeah. on the on, on the West Highland Way, for example. You know, I met tons of people. Hmm. And it was always, it was never, ever anything other than a positive experience, was it? Yeah. Did you find that with the people you met in the hiking community on the West Highland Way as well? Well, not just the West Highland Way, the entire, yeah. the entire... Sure thing from because we originally did a social media page on facebook and it was simply a diary for home education and it sort of developed into what it is and we've got a a good few thousand followers now etc etc and when we started this walk and we started talking about it we never in a million years imagined the sort of support following messages we'd get help support it's just genuinely hand on heart blown our minds because we never ever thought even (laughs) even talking to you now now is like it just feels surreal the fact that we're doing this yet we're getting people like yourself contacting us and we're there's magazine articles being written apparently there's tv stuff potentially happening etc etc so and it's absolutely mental i never suspected this in a million years so it's kind of caught us all off guard and it has pushed us to into the public eye a bit more than i anticipated which is good which is fine which is what i wanted more so than i anticipated so yes we're having to confront being recognised all over the place, walking down the street when we're on the trail. <laughs> That's people are, people are sort of, you can see them talking between themselves when they see us and saying, ah, oh, we recognise you and are you the people doing the walk? And cool. and it's it's weird, it's odd, it's surreal. And we get people out messengers saying, can we walk with you for a bit? Can we meet up with you? Can we post this out to you? Can we do this? And we're having stuff coming from Canada, from America, from China, from Japan, from all over contacting us and sending us stuff and wanting to more information, offering us help. And it's turning virtually into a full-time occupation because it's so much time is being put into not just the walking, 
but the logistics around it and how yeah. everyone else is interacting with us. So, um, so I mean, poor old Sarah, I think, has probably got it harder because at least when we go out and we're walking, we don't have a mobile phone signal most of the time. The best way we've got mm. is a Garmin inReach so we can message each other. Sure, but Sarah's sure. constantly, literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of messages she's having to respond to constantly. And we tried to respond to absolutely every single person in some way. But it's becoming a challenge. It's genuinely <laughs> I, becoming I, hard I, work. I'm, I'm sure it is. And I know that you thought, in being an outdoorsy guy, and that anyway, you always had the idea of doing a long hike. And I know mm. that the three of you, including Sarah, went on the West Highland Way in 2020, then the UK lockdowns took you off the trail. Yeah. So tell everybody why Sarah couldn't share the longer walk with you now. Um. Well, Sarah can walk, but she can't walk particularly far over a long period of time because a few years ago Sarah had cancer mm. and she had quite a great quite an aggressive form of melanoma so skin cancer but she had it all sure. over her feet and that oh, so she had she had several operations and skin grafts and her feet got messed up quite a lot I mean so she can't walk particularly well particularly long without a lot of pain and distress and stuff developing on her feet where the skin grafts are etc etc so um so there's that and there's also she used to be a raft guide and she had some clients in her raft that were I think a bit challenging and there was a bit of an incident with a flip or something like that I'm not totally sure myself to be honest and basically she ended up getting jammed in it and dislocated her knees so she's had operations on them Ooh. as well so coupled with the knees and her feet means that she's not really able to pound out mile after mile after mile day after day after day over bogs and rocks and god knows what else sure, she sure, just yeah. can't can't and do it and I know that she's also not the only one who's had cancer in your family, is she? Because well, you told me that Eve, at a young age, had a tumour. Yeah, when Eve was born, and, there, and there were there were there was a possibility she wouldn't make it. Yeah, when she was when she had a the hospital found a tumour on her spine, and it was pushing against her actual spinal column. And, yeah, we got taken into the family room by all the consultants and doctors and told we wouldn't be taken home and you're moving on to palliative care, basically. Um, oh, my gosh. They scanned her. They, it was connected to one of the universities, so they called over the professors and that because it was quite unique, quite rare. They hadn't really seen all this sort of stuff much, etc. And they tried various treatments, and luckily it worked. And wow. they sorted her out, basically. And Lisa. the rest is, is history, so to speak. And and one of the best things is she doesn't remember much about it. Of course. Yeah, she's being so one years old. Yeah, so, right. yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. But Eve and Sarah were both... Sarah's going through her cancer treatment and Eve was in hospital at the same time. So it all happened oh, at God. the same time. So... So the yeah. fact that you do any hiking at all, Ian, is a bloody miracle, as far as I'm concerned. What you're taking on is quite something. And I've spoken to a couple of um, mother and son and father and daughter pairs recently. Does Eve participate in the planning of your trips? Is she because she's obviously interested, isn't she? Yeah. Does she? Do you act as joint hikers, or you're the dad and she's the daughter? But how how do you look at that relationship? We yeah, Eve 
is involved and we encourage her to get involved and we want her to so she sits down with us with the map spread out and what does this symbol mean what does that and working out routes and paths and all that sort of stuff and so yeah she's actively involved we encourage her to be actively involved not just from the hiking perspective but the whole how home education stuff because you can integrate core skills of math and english into all this sort of stuff really quite easily so yeah so she, she's involved with it in at all times and, and in all ways now being eight years old she maybe comes up with ideas that maybe not as good in practice because it is is thinking oh let's go over that mountain when in actual fact <laughs> it's probably not a good idea when you can see the contour lines so close together and do you know what i mean and it's just sort of but but she wants to do all this stuff so i mean obviously we're quite blessed living in scotland the fact we do have all yeah. mountains so we do take her up we do do the munros and all this sort of stuff she reads the maps as well she reads the maps as well? She does. She, so, yeah, and she knows how to do all the orientation and she knows how to take grid references and and she, and she how to obviously uh, hand rail and all the other sort of various technical, well, not so technical, but all the other sort of techniques you can use yeah. when you're navigating and stuff like that. So, yeah, she, she's she got, I, I don't know, I don't know whether I'd necessarily give it all to her on a wet, windy, misty, Scottish <laughs> mountain and say, there you go, get us back to the car. But you know <laughs> what I mean? She, 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 yeah. she, she, she's got a good grounding. She's got a good grounding and she's definitely keen to learn. And you had intended when you started this trip to wild camp kind of most of the time, because in yeah. Scotland, you kind of can a lot of the time, can't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Um, yeah, but you can't in England so much, I know. No. So, but you haven't actually had to do as much wild camping as you thought, have you? No, we have no. Well, it's kind of a it's we we were only planning it doing a load of planning today. Me and Sarah sat down and we've actually stopped and trying to integrate more camping because we've had so many offers of help and support and we'll do this, we'll do that for you that it's almost rendering camping kind of obsolete. We don't kind of need to. And it's wow. kind of, well, we want to. It's kind of, So we're actually virtually <laughs> at the point of saying, thank you very much. Maybe we'll delay it and stuff just so we can try and get a few nights, a few more nights under and and the canvas and in, in the actual tent. I mean, there was some times uh, right at the beginning when we were in Scotland at the beginning of March where the weather was genuinely so brutal. I, I, even the best tents in the world, I think, would have struggled to, to really stay up and, sure, and make it comfortable sure. with 60, 70 mile an hour gusts and not being able to put your pegs in properly because they ground so tusky. Yeah. And so it was a challenge. So we did happily, happily accept some of the offers of help and support then. But I mean, obviously now in the sort of the better weather, we're still getting all the offers, which is awesome. And we always said on this walk, we try and meet as many people as we can, expecting at best maybe a dozen or so. But I mean, yes, it's literally hundred. So we're, we're trying to take people up on offers, but also think in actual fact, maybe, maybe say no to some of them just so we can try and give Eve yes. some of the, some of the camping backpacking experience that we were talking about before we actually got onto the trail. Sure, and how does she react to that? Does she, does 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 she see the camping as a as an integral part of the trip, or does she, is she really enjoying the thing of getting into people's houses and and whatever you're doing, you know, to get off the trail? I think it's probably a bit of both. I think after a long hard day when she's got soaking wet feet, she's cold and she's wet. She still, ha I mean, she keeps me going. If there's a weak point, it's me. It's not her. It's me. And so she, <laughs> and and I think it's it's good. It, it and it is nice, and she appreciates it, but. The amount of time she's asking, when are we going to be camping? Can we use the tent and all this sort of stuff? Because she likes it. She wants to do all this stuff. 
So I think she does want to do it and she does want to do it more because we've spoken about it such a lot about camping, spent so much time getting kit ready and trying to reduce pack weight and sure. all this sort of stuff. And then all of a sudden we're, we're in accommodation and we're doing this and we're getting picked up and dropped off, which is lovely. And at the beginning we needed it in all honesty because it course, was yeah. brutal out there. But now it's kind of, we, we kind of want to and, and Eve's asking to do, to do it. So, yeah, it's it's trying to get a happy medium of trying to keep as many people happy, meet as many people as we can to push what we're trying to do and, and increase our following and all that sort of good stuff. But also thinking that ultimately I've got an eight-year-old girl here that wants yeah. a, a, her own kind of experience. So sure. and we're ultimately we, we're led by her, which is why the mileage probably isn't as high on a daily basis as some people it's no race, Ian. Exactly, it's no race, exactly. is it? Yeah. No, no, it's, it's not. You know, the experience of you, for your daughter of, of be, growing up, living part of the time in the outdoors like this, I just think is extraordinary. And you've already said that she thrives outdoors. Do you see, because she's done this on a quite extended period now, between mm. March and June, do you see changes in her in the, even just the three months she'd been hiking in Scotland? Yes. In terms of, well, physically, yes, she's, she's more strong. She's stronger, faster, more dynamic. There's there's more emotional resilience, emotional security, stability. She's less likely to cry and break down. I mean, everything's just better. Like like everything, her ability to learn, absorb information, everything. I mean, literally nothing short of everything. And her confidence around people, talking to people. Even if you just look on the videos that we've recorded and uploaded onto Facebook, look at them from the beginning of March to now and you'll see the difference yes, in Eve and how she's that's why I asked the question yeah talking. that's why I asked it's, the question she holds herself differently already yeah and she's actually yeah, taken hold of the camera now and she's wanting to do it herself mm. and the whole sort of video is going into YouTube is also something we're going to develop further down the line so yeah she's absolutely loving it she's developing into a fundamentally different child and I do put that down to simply being outside the people the trail the hiking it, it's, it's amazing absolutely amazing and so what about you then, Ian? Do, do you, because you've had three months out on the trail now, does yeah. Sarah notice changes in you? Oh, God, that, oh, I don't know, to be perfectly honest. Well, do you, you notice, change, me do you notice, do, do you notice yeah. changes in you? Yeah, I think that, yeah, I mean, because I've got, obviously, still with the autism, that I've got major concerns and issues to do with, uh, my, my major issues are finding somewhere to wild camp, Water issues and resupply, they're my three sure. Achilles heels. And sure. it is getting a lot better doing that, managing that, and just being confident just to push on and, and manage all of that. So from those perspectives, yeah, I feel a lot more happy and confident with hiking and walking and being in the outdoors than I ever did before. Some of that comes down to experience and some of that comes down to just being pushed into the situation because, as we spoke Absolutely. about yesterday, when you're on the hillside when you're on the trail it is, i mean the united kingdom's not a big country at all certainly compared to um, america i mean we're we're, we're touchy <laughs> so i mean yeah. but even if i phone sarah up at seven o'clock at night and say i've got an issue it's still going to take us six seven hours to drive to me so sure. like it or not you've got to deal with it and you've got to manage it and i've got an eight-year-old child i've got to keep my head about me i can't just have i can't just sit and cry and just do you know what I mean? So you and it does challenge I, I do. you in so many exactly ways. And yeah. and if I I could rec recommend one thing to anybody, it just to get out there and have a go. Because to be honest, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to have a rough night. Yeah, so right. what? Tomorrow's another yeah. day. 
Yeah, you wake up the next day, you keep going forward, don't you? Exactly. It's, I mean, it's what, everybody has problems on the trail. Yours must be magnified to a degree because of uh, of your of your, you know, being on the spectrum. But uh, I suspect that you still face many of the same challenges we all do. And we all have to cope with those challenges, yeah, don't we? Absolutely. An obvious question, I guess, is how do you fund these adventures? Because you're, you're you're not because you're homeschooling your daughter yep. and you're not currently working. I know you used to have a business. Hmm. What, what, what's the plan? To, to, or you do not have a plan? Do you wait till this over then see what you're going to do then? Well, financially, we're, we're not wealthy uh, like at all. I mean, you, have, you read a lot of stories on the internet about people that have sold up and doing these adventures and they were GPs and they were doctors and they were all the, the, the sort of professions where you earn a lot of money. I worked in a hotel and my wife worked at an outdoor centre. We were basically minimum wage. Right. And we saved up some money over lockdown because we were still working. There was a furlough scheme in the UK, etc. So we managed to save right. up some money. And we've been wanting to do something big for a long time, but as we said yesterday life got in the way and one thing or another and eventually after lockdown we kind of thought or sarah kind of thought F- it we're just gonna kind of do it we're just gonna kind of get out there and I'm we're gonna just gonna do <laughs> i do apologize yeah, yeah i am so sorry no not at so, all no, no. <laughs> so yeah and so it was one of the hardest things to do although my job it was a dead-end job where there was no hope of prospects of promotion and all this sort of stuff it, it, it was a job and uh, the work ethic I was brought up with was absolutely rock solid you work period the end no matter what yeah. you just carry on yeah. so yeah. to give it up was one of the hardest things to do but gave up the job um using the money that we've got saved up to get Eve out on the trail to have a go at doing something big because we've always said we would and we wanted to and Eve wants to and she keeps asking about doing more. She's planning next year. So basically we're using some of the money we saved up over lockdown and we're going to see how it goes. I mean, and because we haven't really got a timescale for when this is going to end. No, no. So it's just going to sort of see how it goes. We set up a GoFundMe. I love that. I love that. I think it's terrific. yeah, yeah. And that's so, yeah, so I mean, it, I mean, obviously I'm on here with you talking, etc. But I mean, in reality, Sarah, who's, who, um, who sits behind the scenes is is the, really the one that's making it happen or allowing it to happen. So so the debt to her is is one that I, I hope I can pay back, but I probably never will. But I'll certainly spend my life trying. You've certainly paid it back to Eve already. So I, don't, I wouldn't worry about too much about that. Yeah. So hopefully, and yeah, and hopefully Eve will, even if even if she doesn't remember any of it, which I sincerely hope she does, the character building the, into the sort of person we want her to be, I think is 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 worth its weight in gold. Sure, so, I quite agree. I absolutely so, agree. Yeah. So, where next? Where do you go next? I don't actually know where we're gonna. I, I mean, we keep thinking about what we're gonna be doing next year. Eve wants to do another walk, a bigger walk. Right. Um. So no, sorry, no. On this, on this journey. Oh, this, this, on this. Um, sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where's, where are you next? Because you've done Scotland, so you're now into yeah. England. Yeah, we're into England. We're currently on the Pennine Way, which basically right. cuts straight down the middle of England. Now, um, yeah. anyone that knows the Pennine Way or has watched videos on the Pennine Way, I mean, real videos knows that the Pennine Way is basically, basically just one big bog. It's muddy, it's slippy, it's wet, it's a bog from start to finish virtually. Now, that's probably doing it a bit of disjustice, but I mean, we have, we, my, 
Sarah used to live near the Pennon Way, etc. So she can, she'll certainly vouch for that. And the amount of people that can sink in the bogs up to the waist and stuff like that. I mean, it's, oh, really? it's crazy. Oh so gosh. anyway, <laughs> so yeah, so so we're on the Pennon Way. We're we're going down that now. We have made some deviations. We're not loyal to that actual trail. We're just using it as a blueprint to head south. Sure. So sure. we're coming off bits of that. So we're going to cut straight through the middle of England, straight down, and then we'll get so far roughly into the middle and then we're going to cut across into wales or onto the welsh border lovely, so that way lovely. we can also go into wales and do another country and yeah. cut down there we're not in wales for long and then we go into the go right into the south of england which climate wise is probably more similar to france by the time yes. you look at uh, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you sort of look at it on the globe so and then so we're hoping for some pretty hot weather down there to be honest um and then push on down to Land's End and to, then to Lizard Point, which is a bit yeah. further on. Well, look, Ian, I, I think you've got, you're giving your daughter a remarkable, a remarkable journey that I'm sure she'll remember forever. And I feel absolutely privileged to have the chance to talk to you today. And I really appreciate you coming on the show and just hope that when you get there, you'll let us know and we'll get you back on and tell us the second half of your trip. Tell us what it was like then, okay? Yeah, no, absolutely. It'd be absolutely brilliant. It's been, yeah. It's been really good actually talking. So yeah, thank you very much indeed, and thanks for the for inviting us. It's been amazing. Not so at yeah, all. thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. You take it easy, okay? You take care then. Cheers then. Cheers. Bye. 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 As I often do when we finish recording, um, Ian and I carried on talking, and he actually hadn't finished. And he wanted to add one more thing. Here he is again. Funnily enough, we're back. <laughs> Ian and I were just talking. So tell me what you just said, Ian. Um, well, uh, we, we, we were just talking about originally the actual trail that we were thinking about doing or planning on doing before the whole COVID lockdown was the Appalachian Trail in America. We were actually looking Ooh. at trying to come over and do that one simply because it's, as far as I'm aware, the longest, the world's longest Waymark trail in, in the world, I mean, there are big ones, PCT and all that sort of yeah. stuff, but the Appalachian Trail is the biggest one and it's the most social one by my Absolutely. understanding. So and that was going to be the original one that we were going to try and do. So kind of doing the whole UK was kind of almost not a second thought, but it was it, it, it kind of made sense given the the times that we're living in at the moment. Well, yeah, yeah, there is that as well. So yeah, so we've got all the books yeah. and everything. We've got uh, all the literature here sitting waiting, and we were we were going through it all. So you never know. Well, you know, never know. Who knows? Ian? In a couple of years, in a couple of years' time, you might be on the show. You and Eve telling me about how you finished the Appalachian. You trial. never know. And that Hopefully. would be a very, very cool thing. It would be cool. And then we, we can, can meet face to face. All right then. We'll take it easy. All right. And Cheers, Now, I know we're a show about usually the Appalachian Trail, but this is one of my favourite chats I've ever done. Can you imagine how tough that must be? And cuts on the table, I don't understand fully the difficulties he's faced on this journey. Yet I think he's been heroic. He's given his daughter a wonderful experience from which she is clearly thriving. It is awesome. And at the same time, he's raising awareness of what being on the spectrum means while not limiting what Eve can achieve. Just imagine... She could well end up climbing Everest. Bloody marvellous. Thanks as ever go to our donors. This week, our monthly donors are Jens Lipperheider, Lisa Rana, Brian Helton Jr., Erskine Bass and Letitia Webb. We also had individual donations from Stephen Brindle, 
Mary Louise Adams, no relation by the way, <laughs> and Dennis Pack. As always, we couldn't do these shows without you, and I'm always grateful when I get a notification of another donation. I never take them for granted. Please, if you feel like you're getting value from all these stories we bring you, head on over to the Hiking Radio Network website and click on one of the donate buttons. Thank you so much. Now let's catch up with Dom tomorrow. He's still heading north, though this week he's in a car. <laughs> Let Dom explain. Hey Dom, how are you? Good, Steve. How are you? I'm uh, good, and and I know that you are you've 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 gallantly made your made your way to a car park so we can speak. Uh, so you yes. battle uh, battled your way. You're driving for a graduation event. Is that correct? Yes, that's true. That's correct. Who's graduating then? So, uh, so you know, I stepped down from my position to uh, as a residency director to high sure. PAT, and so this is sure. my group of senior residents who are graduating. So it's no one in my family. It's it's the group that I've I've watched uh, kind of evolve into. Uh, uh, How wonderful! Positions. Yeah. How so wonderful! Yeah, that must be a particular pleasure to you. It really is. Yeah, I'm sure. And I'll I'm get sure. to spend some time with my family as well. So how long are you off the trail then? Uh, it'll be, uh, uh, including travel, it'll be about five days total. Oh, I'm not too, not too bad then, because with a bit of luck, you won't leave, you, you won't lose your legs, which is the important bit, because you're, you're 500 miles in now, aren't you? I just passed the 500-mile mark, uh, right that? within Grayson Highlands. And you know what? Even though you, you plan to do this and you wanted to do this, the the mere fact of realizing you've walked five hundred miles that is a long way, isn't it? It is. It it is. <laughs> and you know, everyone says, "Oh, you know, don't worry, Virginia levels out and stuff." But you know, Virginia, <laughs> you know, the the Grayson Highlands they call them Highlands for a reason. They're really yeah, high. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a big it's a big uh, a big climb. And it lovely though. I did. Did you enjoy the Grayson Highlands? Oh yeah. I mean, I. I had this uh, snafu with my timing. I I rented the car to go home, but I got to Damascus too early. All right. Um, and so rather than just uh, sit around, I got a, a ride up to Massey Gap, which is in the middle of Grayson Highlands. Yes. And I hiked three days southbound back to nice. Damascus. Um, nice. I bet, that, I bet that's lovely. Now I think about it, I bet that's a lovely hike as well. I mean, it's a lovely hike the other way, but I suspect it's a lovely hike southbound as well. Oh, it was it was great. And it had this this um, it had this strange effect. I did not anticipate this. So, you know, because I'm um, a relatively slow hiker, you know, I haven't really been hiking with a specific group. There's a few people um, that I've hiked with and camped with consistently, but no, sure. no tramley as of yet. But as I was hiking southbound, I ran into all these people. It was like the greatest hits uh, of all the <laughs> friends that I've been hiking with. And yeah. they all were very concerned. They said, wait, you're coming back, right? I said, Absolutely. Yeah. I got to return the car, you know? And so yeah. uh, it was, it was great to see everybody. It's a bit of a schlep though, isn't it? It's a bit of a drive you've got. I mean, how far are you driving? No, it is. It's uh, it, t- today I'm driving just to New York City to visit my brother, and then uh, right. it's three hours back home. But all on right, the way right. back, I'm going to do the whole thing uh, right. in one go. I just don't want to waste any uh, any time. I feel, you yeah. know, it's a little bit of me that feels like 
Oh boy, is this the right decision? But it, it totally is the right decision. Um, yeah, you'll you'll certainly feel that when you're there. But you know, you you do definitely interrupt the the rhythm of your hike. And I've no, noticed that with a lot of people who've done are in our class of 2022 this year. You know, a lot of them haven't been able to get the rhythm going, unfortunately, and it just just interrupts their hike, and it's difficult to get back into it. And you know, various yeah. injuries and getting off for a couple of days and so on. But when you get back, your plan is to push straight forward. Then is it? Yeah, I already have a ride arranged from the car rental place to nice. Massey Gap so I can pick up where I left off. Virginia okay. Virginia is already my favorite state. I mean, I've only been in Virginia for, what, 40 miles. And yeah. between Grayson Highlands, the view from uh, Buzzard Rock, making 500 miles, um, it's just, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful state. I'm looking I just realised you just referred to. I just realised when you said it that I, I referred to Buzzard Rock as Eagle Rock the other day, <laughs> and the show uh, it was Buzzard Rock. It was Buzzard Rock. I meant yeah. It, so so, you're how far are you into the drive by now? Then how far are you, how far are you done? Uh, let's see. It's around two o'clock now. I'm uh, I'm due to get into at my brother's house in New York um, at around seven. Oh, so, so it's about five hours. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so what's been going on? I know you saw your first bear. Well, tell us about that. Well, you know, so I've been I've been hiking um, a lot with uh, this couple, uh, cough drop and dragonfly, and uh-huh. so we were we were hiking. It was just crossed into Virginia, and I crested a ridge, and mm-hmm. cough drop was standing on the trail with his finger to his mouth to to be hushed, and so yeah. I tiptoed as much as I can tiptoe. Uh, and there was a bear. That's, that's not that's not a good visual, Dom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, especially if I still have my uh, my heavy boots. But but yeah. there was a bear off in the uh, maybe about I don't know thirty yards off the trail. There was a, a, nice. a looks like a, a mama bear and and her cub, and they Lovely. were they were pretty um, pretty mellow. Uh, the the mama bear had had laid down, and the cub was. I don't know, doing whatever, but, uh, you know, I have a little, I was able to get a little video. Um, I'm much better at seeing things with my eyes than I am with my, my phone. And so I can't seem to zero in on it. So I saw the bear and, you know, on my phone, when I play back the video, it looks like I'm take playing back a video of a bunch of leaves, but but there's a (laughs) couple of spots. There's a couple of spots where you can see the, the bears. So, uh, Aren't they amazing to see? Yes, aren't they incredible? It's it's almost otherworldly. I I know we see them in zoos and so on, but I always remember saying to someone, you know, I saw the the, the bears in the zoo, in the the New York Zoo, and they were listless, they were tired. They were meant to be black bears, but they were brown and matted fur and so on. But in the wild, they look magnificent, don't they? Yeah, and, and, you know, it just reminds you that you're in this, you're in their world. You know, so you Absolutely. have to be on your your best behavior. Absolutely. Now, did you? Uh, you also stayed at uh, Uncle Uncle Johnny's, which I've never actually stayed here, and also Boots Off, which I loved. Um, yeah, yeah. So you've done the. I'm just trying to think of where you are. Then, so you you've done that bit where you see the waterfall. I can't remember the name. The, the falls. Oh my! The my Laurel, God. Fa- Laurel, Laurel Falls. Laurel Falls. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was an ordeal. It had it had poured. It had absolutely poured. It's just wow, after that's tough. North tough going down there then. Tough gun down it there. It poured, and so, so uh, you know, I looked on my phone, and and it showed the the radar showed that the the bad weather was moving to our north, and five minutes later, 
deluge. And so I, I, I took the risk and I went down to see the falls down those endless rock steps. Yes, um, yes. And they were just powerful and just awesome. And, but the trail, it looked like was dry and passable. So I walked about 0.1 miles and then you could see where it hugged that rock wall and was underwater. Yes. Oh, so really? With my full so, pack, right. I had to walk all the way back up the steps. Oh dear, not. not but it was Steve. it was really incredible. Yeah. Did you go in the water? I oh, did. No. I stripped I, off and it, went in. I, I went in as a swim. Yeah. It, no. It. I mean, that would have been great, except that this was that would have been dangerous. The the river yeah. was so fast and so oh, wow. high. It would not be something. In fact, we were worried. Uh, we were uh, uh, cough drop and dragonfly, and I were worried about the fact that rivers will often crest some some time after a big rainfall. And we were camped right by the river. It was oh, it was dear. loud. It was roaring all night. We were thinking, well, what if this river starts to crest? We're only you know about ten fifteen feet away from the bank, but. <laughs> So you went over Rome Mountain, uh, and so, yep. so have you been? You've been over Rome Mountain. You went to Carver's Gap, which is about fifty-five hundred feet. I'll never forget that, or fifty-two hundred feet, something like that. And then you go over these beautiful yep. balls, don't you? Oh. That's one of my favourite spots. Talk, talk us through that. So my favourite, the fa- so first of all, it was another day when it had poured, and we were all jammed into the High Knob Shelter, Rome High Knob Shelter, uh, right, yeah. which is this two-story, fully enclosed. Yeah. Yeah. We were all miserable. Um, but the next day the weather was, was really nice. And so the best view I thought was over, um, Little Hunt Mountain. Same here. And, and then it had been a while. I wasn't going to go over, uh, Hunt Mountain. So there's a, um, a saddle or a cold, uh, between the two. And so that's where I camped that night. And then the next day, um, the top of Hunt Mountain was encased in cloud, and it was oh, what a it, shame! It was cold. It was uh, it was really windy, and um, but it was it was okay. But uh, the the view from from Little Hump was just was just gorgeous. Well, it, it's the view of Hump Mountain from Little Hump is the one that is forever in my mind. Whatever I even yes. saw on the West Highland Way, there's this thing called Conic Hill, which is a small hill, but it has the same look of, of Hump Mountain, but much, much smaller. And when you go to, uh, where is it, to Woods Hole Hostel in Perisburg, if you do go there, they've mm-hmm. got a book with a fantastic picture of Hump Mountain, one of my favourite places on the trail, as I say. And you stayed at the Rome Mountain B&B, which did you? stay for the breakfast there yes yes yes. well yeah i did it was ann and steve was just that's right great they're lovely absolutely lovely well you know you're going great so going back home now where so when do you expect to restart something we're calling on i'm speaking to you on saturday june the 4th and you're probably going to get back wednesday-ish i guess i'll be at the latest i'll be hiking back on trail on friday all right. Okay. Great. Great. Well, look. So, you know, enjoy your drive. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your your, um, your graduation. But don't forget, you got to get those legs moving again when you get back. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm I I uh, I'm on my now third pair of boots. I uh, really the, the boots that I yeah the boots that I had gotten the sole is already starting to 
to delaminate. It's only been two or three weeks. Good so Lord. I'm going to return those and yeah. and uh, finally get a, a, a pair of uh, lightweight uh, trail runner type, uh, type oh, really? shoes. Okay. So right. I'm going to I'm going to wear those at the gym while I'm home on the treadmill okay. just to give them some. And I see I, when we when we try to record just before uh, we're using the phone now, but when we try to use record using uh, Squadcast, you've got a good beard going going on. Are you uh, going to keep that for the graduation? You know, tidy yourself up. <laughs> I don't know. I might tidy myself up and then restart. <laughs> That's right. Um, do that. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it's a good look, but I don't know that it's. Uh, I, I definitely want uh, my family to uh, experience the uh me with a beard but i don't yes. know if they're going to have an appetite for that too long <laughs> yeah i'm sure you're right <laughs> you, you sound like you're still having a great time which is lovely you know i'm really pleased and a lot of our class haven't had a great time this year on the trail so i'm so pleased that you're really you know getting out there and you're going to get back to it what what, what are your you know what are your expectations now dom you know what, what, what's your plan because it, it's now early june you've still got plenty of time um but what do you what are you expecting to happen in the next couple of months funny you should ask so last night at at, at dinner uh rx and just kevin and i were sitting around and we we're trying to calculate uh what we needed to do so it it you know my miles at the beginning i was like six or seven miles a day sure. And now sure. I'm um, maybe 10 to 12, 16 right. with a full pack has been my, my longest 21 right. with slack packing. But we, right. we calculated that uh, assuming six hiking days out of seven for the rest of the season to the end of September, we'd have right. to do about 17 miles a day, wow. which is, it feels like it's, it may be unrealistic for me. And that makes it, that makes I don't think it is dumb. I don't think it is. The reason I say that, it's okay. Certainly in uh, quite a few of the states you've got to come, you can do that. Your problem's going to be the White Mountains, going to be New Hampshire and yeah. Maine generally in terms of keeping yeah. those miles going. But I can well see you get into 18 to 20s quite quite a few days. But to do that yeah. for six days out of seven, that's that's quite significant as well. So, Sorry, I, I was just about to say, you're just going to have to adapt yeah. on the fly, aren't, adapt on the fly, aren't you? Yeah, I think that's that's actually one of the lessons. So what I'm going to say at graduation, I'm going to I'm going to tell people about the five things I've learned in the first 500 miles of the AT. So I'm still working then, on that. When, but, well, uh, you, you you must have you know what they are roughly. So this won't come out till next Thursday, so you can say it now because you would have done the graduation. So what are they? <laughs> oh, so what so what are they? Uh, so uh, number one is um, is do not prejudge people let people unfold and enrich your life. I mean, there's you so many know, people You think where, we should know that. You would think we should know that by now, wouldn't you? But yeah. You're right oh, yeah. Too, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. That's, that's number one. Number two is when someone offers you help, take it, be grateful for it and pay it forward. Um, oh. Number, number three, and this is in no order. Number three is lighten your load, both, both literally and figuratively. Um, Number four, which for me is very personal, is um, don't neglect your physical well-being. You know, if I were in better physical condition when I started this, I would have had a much better start to it. Um, uh -huh. I'm having a great time, but I would have had a much better start to my hike had I been in better physical shape. 
And then, okay. and then fifth is make sure that your family who and your friends whom you're going to be away from for a long time it, are going to be um, know that that you care about them, you love them, and you appreciate. Them. That is so cool. Yeah, being flexible that I may work that in as well. And then the bonus one is uh, never quit on a bad day. <laughs> yes, that's an important one as well. It's surprisingly important because there, there are so yeah. many times we just kind of want to give up. And you know, I certainly did that on the John Muir Trail last year. Well, look, I think they're valuable lessons anyway, and I'm sure you'll continue to learn lessons when you get back as well. Um, well, have a great time at the graduation. I'm sure that your students will be delighted to, to see you. And um, good luck back on the trail and just stay in touch, okay? I will, Steve. Thanks a lot for uh, for giving a call and pursuing it despite our uh, lack of, of course. Uh, connection here. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. You take it easy, okay? All right. Take care. Talk to you Susan. later. Bye. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. So, with a bit of luck, by the time you hear this, Dom will be one of our surviving class of 2022 hikers still on course. I do hope that being a member of this mighty blue class of 22 hasn't been a curse for the hikers out there. But as we all know, pitching up at Springer and setting out is a huge step on your journey, but absolutely no guarantee of getting to the end. I'm just glad that we've still got some skin in the game. Just a bit of a programming note. Remember Nathan and Kim Wright being on the show a few weeks ago? Well, I offered the podcast to account of you and we've got one. In fact, Jeff Hayes will put his case for why not Alabama. Then Nathan will be on and they'll debate the issue. It was a really respectful and worthwhile conversation. I hope that you'll get a kick out of it and educated on it at the same time. So watch out for that next Thursday. Finally today, George Stephanos on his 1983 thru-hike of the Appalachian Trail is about to enter the Smokies. And a bit of trivia. <laughs> this is the only episode that we've ever had that finishes with a bleeped out curse word. I'll see you next week. Chapter 3, The Darklands. Fontana Dam, North Carolina to Davenport Gap, the North Carolina Tennessee border, the Smokies. Tuesday the 17th of May 1983, mile 171.3. Our brief fellowship has come to a parting of the ways. Today Dave and I entered the vast Great Smoky Mountains National Park. As no dogs are allowed, Ron and Sonny remain behind at the Fontana Hilton, awaiting a ride tomorrow to Davenport Gap on the other side of the Smokies. Those long shelter nights will not be the same without them, but there is hope for a memorable reunion. Thus far, all of the trail towns have been in dry counties, that is, after all, the Bible Belt. Hot Springs, North Carolina, our next supply point, is reputed to be wet. With any luck, taking into account Ron's slow, steady crawl, Dave and I should catch up with him again by Hot Springs. It should be fairly interesting to be with maniacs like Ron and Dave in a town with bars. Look out. Note, no bars in Hot Springs, at least in 1983. I think there was a state liquor store, though. We had one final round of storytelling last night. As the glowing joints made their way around the shelter and we grew stoned, Ron shared a story about the day when his brother took him food shopping for the trip. Ron, a complete backpacking novice, watched in bewilderment his brother as his brother filled the cart with all sorts of strange provisions. Finally, when he dropped a box of saltines on top, Ron had to ask him what the hell that was for. Ruffage, was the firm, terse reply. 
Ron also questioned the need for Tang, but now he cannot do without it. He never carries water on his hikes. He carries massive amounts of Tang, which he mixes in every time he fills his canteen. He definitely travels to the beat of a different drum, but that is just one of the quirks that makes him fascinating. This self-proclaimed lifelong couch potato has done quite well for himself. He has now packed 170 miles. That is a hell of an accomplishment, even though it has taken him a month to do it. On the rare occasions when things would grow quiet, Ron would suddenly shout out, Ravage! and we would all begin giggling again. Perhaps you had to hear him tell the story in order to appreciate this, especially after you had just smoked three joints with him. Later, Ron began mixing in his other favourite backpacking necessities. Tang, oatmeal, coffee, beer nuts, cigarettes. Dave told a story, the events in which transpired years ago, on his first trip to the Smokies. He was sleeping in one of the shelters one night, at a time prior to the installation of the bear fences in front of the open side. A bear came in and tried to get at a thru-hiker's food supply. The hiker stood up and shined his flashlight directly into the bear's eyes, sending him retreating out of the shelter. This entire sequence was repeated two more times. Finally, being smarter than the average bear, Yogi had a brainstorm and began to back into the lean-to, heading once again for those picnic baskets. The thru-hiker grabbed a frying pan and dealt that bear a resounding whack across the butt. Yogi ran out, never to return that night. Nothing comes between a thru-hiker and his food. Dave, Ron and I needed to make another trip into Fontana Village this morning, having forgotten several vital items yesterday afternoon. We set out to walk the three miles from the shelter to the village. After about a half mile, one of the Fontana Village sheriffs pulled over and gave Dave and me a ride into town. He was not allowed to have dogs in the car, so Ron and Sonny had to walk all the way in. Once again, I felt a mixed welcome in Fontana. Every place of business had a sign in its window informing us that backpacks were not allowed inside. Many of the upper-middle-class tourists bespoke upon us the friendly countenances they reserved for derelicts. Nevertheless, the stores did not seem to mind taking our money. We did meet a few friendly people, though, and no one was outright rude to us. Maybe it was my imagination. After devouring a large breakfast with Dave in the cafeteria, I stopped at the post office for a padded envelope in which to mail home the two rolls of exposed film which had been overlooked when I sent the return package yesterday. At the store, I picked up several forgotten items, the most important being a small container of baby powder. My chubby thighs had been chafed raw and hairless by long hours of steamy hiking and various other appendages were not exactly thriving in their endless sweat baths. I also purchased a nutritious second breakfast of coke and potato chips for a little alfresco dining at one of a small group of tables outside. I finally made my way back to the shelter. No rides, so it was another three-mile walk in Fontana. You would not think this would bother me, what with all the walking I am already doing on this trip, but my legs and the bloody stumps I use for feet have only so many miles in them on any given day, and I hoard these like a miser. Wasting them on roadwalks not part of the official Appalachian Trail mileage frustrates the hell out of me. At the shelter, I loaded my pack and followed the AT over paved TVA roads for a quarter mile to the dam. I found the building housing the public showers and spent almost an hour in one, my first since Franklin. The US government has my sincere gratitude for this thoughtful gesture. An especially nice touch was a mirror in the shower stall. I enjoyed my first shave since Wallace Inn in Georgia, right in the store. It was a pleasure to rid myself of that growth, even though I adroitly managed to gouge my lower lip and it bled like a stuck pig. By the time Dave and I trod the concrete footway across the long dam, it was one fifteen. 
On the far side of Fontana Lake, the Appalachian Trail followed paved roads along the shore for a half mile before turning into the woods for the long, gruelling climb up a spur ridge of the Smokies. When we finally reached the fire tower on the top of the Shuckstack Mountain, there was an incredible 360-degree view of western North Carolina's mountain ranges to the east and North Carolina-Tennessee state line ridgecrest of the Smokies to the west. Two hikers we met there, who were on their way down into Fontana, told us of a severe rat problem at Molly's Ridge Shelter, where we intended to stay tonight. We decided to stop at Burt Spring Shelter and make today a short day. Russell Field Shelter, the next one past Molly's Ridge, was eight miles away, and it was already four o'clock. To be assured of a place inside a shelter each night, you must be one of the first three thru-hikers to arrive. The other nine or so spots are reserved by short-term hikers whose permits state specifically at which shelter they are to stay each night. We do not want to take any chances in these crowded mountains, so we will have to leave early, get our miles in and arrive at our chosen shelters early in the afternoon. Birch Spring Shelter is a sty, but it's our home tonight. The floor is an odorous mire of oily black mud. I've already seen at least ten mice scurrying around, so I may not get too much sleep tonight. There's not enough food in my pack for them and me. On the other hand, the water supply is not too dirty and the wire bunks are in pretty good shape. There is room for 12 people and we are the only ones there. It is 8 o'clock and I'm going to lie down. Dave and I are shooting for 15.2 miles tomorrow to Derek Knob Shelter. I'm really looking forward to getting going again after covering only 45.6 miles in the last five days. I had a lot of fun, but now I want mileage. Wednesday the 18th of May 1983, mile 186.5. From Georgia to Virginia run long intricate strands of interconnected mountain ranges bordered by the main fork of the Blue Ridge on the east and another fork far to the west. The deep gorges of mountain rivers such as the Little Tennessee divide this western fork into a series of separate mountain ranges. Their ridgelines form the meandering border of North Carolina and Tennessee. The Great Smokies are the loftiest of these border ranges, running more than 70 miles from the Little Tennessee to the Big Pigeon River. We had been climbing along an eastern spur of the Smokies since the dam and had not yet attained the main crest. At 8.15 in the morning, we started out to cover the remaining two miles along the spur ridge to the state line ridge at Doe Knob. The hike was relatively easy. We had already done the bulk of the climb on Tuesday. From Doe Knob, a long, fairly steep descent into Eckerneatly Gap was followed by a frequently steep one-mile climb up to Molly's Ridge Shelter, where we filled our canteens and rested for 15 minutes. The next step was another climb, a quick ascent of a summit called the Devil's Tater Patch. I could have used some of those spuds just then. I'd already burnt most of my breakfast calories and was damned hungry, but it was all just a cruel hoax. A lot of ups and downs along a rolling stretch of Ridgecrest brought us to Russell Field Shelter, a beautiful spot. Years ago, before these mountains became a national park, folks used to farm their ridgecrests. The old farm fields have now been reclaimed by the patient forest, but trees covering them grow less densely and the woods are airier than the surrounding forests. The shelter was situated in a grassy, park-like wooded area where many of the trees were thick with tiny bright buds. Dave and I spent 40 minutes up there, walking around and just relaxing. I shot my first pictures since Shuckstack's fire tower. A short while later, we hit the nicest spot I'd seen up to that point in the Smokies. A grassy little rolling meadow atop a knob called Little Bald. Although we had not planned it, Dave and I wound up having lunch there and staying for about an hour. The sun was shining and the air remained pleasantly cool. 
Of course, the pretty little redhead we met up there had absolutely nothing to do with the long break. It never did get hot all day. I took a few photographs of the views from the little bald, although the air was becoming rather hazy. After lunch, we had a long, steep climb up Thunderhead, an impressive mountain with large open expanses along the crest. There were some good views, especially from the smaller west peak aptly named Rocky Top. I shot some good pictures up there, but dark clouds were quickly moving in and we had no time to linger. A scattering of fat raindrops began to fall on us and we made our way down the other side. Soon the sun was gone, the wind was whirling and the temperature was plummeting. We flew over the last four miles to Derek Knob's shelter. Immediately upon my arrival, I threw on my long pants, chamois shirt and wool sweater. The balmy afternoon had given way to a rather tempestuous night. Derek Knob was the first completely full shelter Dave and I had encountered since we started on the Appalachian Trail. Ten other backpackers were already here when we arrived. They all seemed like good people, so this was not at all an unpleasant experience. The shelter is in an excellent spot, similar in appearance to Russell Field. About a dozen small deer are wandering around nibbling the grass and the lower leaves, and they let me approach surprisingly close. It's pretty amazing how brave the deer are in the national parks where no hunting is allowed. As I followed the side trail down to the spring to get water for my dinner, one walked past me on the trail, close enough for me to touch. After dinner, Dave and I found ourselves talking to a nice couple from Louisville, Kentucky, named Steve and Diane. Their backpacks were outside the shelter, as they were going to pitch a tent outside for the night in order to escape the crowded shelter. As we talked, a small raccoon started messing with the packs. Steve went outside, walked right up to the brazen little bastard, and gazed sternly down at him. The coon stared back in motionless insolence, a calm, defiant glare of which any human juvenile delinquent would be proud. Finally, he waddled over to a nearby spot where two other backpackers were cleaning up their dinner pots and dishes. He watched them work for a while, fascinated. They chuckled warmly at his charming cuteness, until he suddenly lunged, grabbed a dish and a spoon and sprinted away. They had to chase him for more than a hundred yards before he ditched the booty and took off into the thicker woods surrounding the old field. They returned to the shelter, grinning sheepishly. It's tough to look cool after chasing down a criminal who weighs all of ten pounds. As darkness fell, Dave and I helped Steve and Diane gather wood for and build a nice fire. Through hikers do not often bother with such amenities. We're usually too tired, but the night just seemed to call for one. As we sat around the shelter's fireplace, enjoying the warm flames, Dave pulled out some pot and expressed a wish that he had a bowl. Steve produced one from his pocket and we all got pretty blown away. I went to bed at 10 o'clock and slept like a stone until 7 o'clock. I'm actually writing this entry on Thursday morning, having been too lazy to do it last night. A solid mass of water was falling from the clouds when I awoke. It's still pouring. I do not know what Dave and I will wind up doing today. The howling wind is lashing the rain sideways at times. As it's still just 7.30 and we were planning a short 13-mile day to Mount Collins Shelter, we're going to sit tight for a while and see if conditions improve. It will be much easier to make breakfast after this place clears out a bit, anyway. Thursday, 19th of May, 1983, mile 193.6. Things began to look bleak. I'm already running out of solid food, and today's storm turned out to be a monster. Dave and I managed to walk seven miles to Double Springs Gap Shelter, and that was it. Now I'll be forced to stretch my food supply for an extra day, and the marijuana-induced munches that hit me last night did not help the situation. I don't know what the hell was on my mind when I planned provisions for this stretch of trail. I gave far too much thought to pack weight and completely zoned out of the caloric requirements of backpacking the loftiest mountain range on the Appalachian Trail. 
We waited until noon before starting our hike, but the rain and the wind and the cold hard strong all day. The trail was covered with a rich clay soil, which the deluge had transformed into a sea of mud, bottomless and clinging on the flats and thin and tractionless on the slopes. Walking them was like walking on ice. A half-mile climb felt like a mile when my feet kept slipping back a half-step downhill for each step I climbed. I'm more exhausted after today's seven miles than I was after yesterday's fifteen. Worst of all, I'm still 41 miles from Davenport Gap and the small grocery store located near the Appalachian Trail road crossing there. There were some extremely tough stretches on the trail, most especially the open summit of Silas Bald and the crest of a narrow, knife-edge ridge traversed by the 80 soon afterwards. Both would have been scenic and not terribly difficult on a more clement day, but today was far from clement. Days like these have their own warped charm and personality. They make for more interesting stories afterwards than the nice ones, but a wee dram of this sort of thing goes a long way towards satisfying one's appetite for adventure. About five and a half miles into the day, I was hiking by myself some distance behind Dave. I stopped at Silas Bold Shelter in order to sit down, take a rest, and just get out of the rain for a while. Although it was early in the afternoon, the brutal weather had already packed the place with hikers. All of the shelters in the Smokies have a wire bare fence enclosing the open side, with a narrow opening to allow people to enter. This one was blocked by somebody's backpack. I stood there, exhausted and hypothermic, for about a minute, waiting for the owner of the pack to move it out of the way. Everybody in the shelter just sat or lay there unmoving, staring at me. Finally I asked, whose pack is this? No one answered. I asked again, same result. Now I was angry. I almost shouted the question when I had to repeat it for the third time. Just as I was about to kick the damn thing out of my way and start beating on all the adult males in that shelter, figuring that I would eventually work my way round to the right one, the man who owned that pack and had been standing less than three feet away from it for all of this time snapped out of his lethargic stupor and moved it out of my way. The thing that gets me is that jerk must have just gone through exactly the same misery that I'd been enduring today. Only a person who has experienced a day that miserable can understand just how thoughtless and inconsiderate this guy was. I'm attempting to change and grow as a person while hiking this trail, but looking back, the guy kind of deserved a beating and I wish that I'd given it to him. Running into these morons was an even more unpleasant experience because I had the memory of all those great people I'd met last night. I'm glad I moved on to the next shelter to spend tonight. Dave and I are lodging tonight with another great crew, the shelter is not as crowded as Derek Knob last night, which is a definite plus. One of the nicest things about short-term hikers is that they always seem to have the ambition and the inclination to put forth the effort of building a nice roaring fire at the end of the day. Even tonight, with saturated wood, some of them have done so. Dave and I had temporarily exhausted all of our Boy Scout ambitions on last night's blaze, but we did join the damp and steaming circle around this one. I do not know the names of any of our shelter companions, but we're having a good time together, and that is all that matters. One fellow turned Dave and me on to some good, strong hashish. Another offered Dave and me some gin. I thought the night just too miserable to be compelled to venture outside several times to water the grass, but Dave cheerfully accepted. Later on, he was forced to spend a good deal of time out in the cold, wind-driven rain. Being a true friend, I only broke his chops about that for an hour. I thought that my month on the trail would take me away from partying for a while, but the people I'm meeting on the Appalachian Trail are as crazy as the ones I hang around with at home. I just wish I'd come prepared for this with more food. The situation is growing critical. I'm out of granola bars, candy bars and Pop-Tarts, virtually all of my munchy food. 
I still have small amounts of crackers, peanut butter and rice. My freeze-dried beef is holding out well, as are my sugar, tea and oatmeal. The tang is almost gone, but there's still plenty of instant milk. Dave's situation is no better. A parting gift from Steve and Diane this morning of a large bag of peanuts is saving our butts for the moment. Diane also gave me some homemade potato bread at dinner last night. They were excellent people, like the vast majority of those I've met on the Appalachian Trail. I remember an account by an 80 through hiker in a book that I read before starting this trip. He wrote that, while on his hike, he could not stand to be around anybody, not a fellow through hiker That was his loss. I hear that the weather is supposed to be much better over the next couple of days. If we can make it 20.6 miles tomorrow to Peck's Corner Shutter, our supply problems should be workable. From there, it is a 19.6 mile hike to Davenport Gap Shelter the next day, where we can leave our backpacks and walk the two mile round trip to the store. The wind and the rain have both died down considerably as night has fallen. Hopefully, the forecast is correct. If it isn't, we're f- If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.